title. Did you know that the Bible uses the word rock over 120 times? And you know, many of these instances are a direct reference to God himself. And one of these, one of these verses that you can see is Psalm 62, verses 6 through 8. It says, He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, well, I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. So before we get going today, let's pray. Father, I just pray that uh, I don't get in the way of the message today. Just move me aside. May your words come to my lips exactly how you want them to be said. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that you need to reach, today would be the day. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, as I was praying and studying for this message, I had this picture that kept flooding my mind. And it was this picture of me and my son. My son was standing on the edge of the pool. He's about three years old. He had this green uh, frog floaty thing on. And he was standing there in his little swimsuit, and he was afraid. And I was looking up at him. I was standing there with my arms outreached to him, and I was like, dude, you can do this. Come on, man, you can just, just jump. I'll catch you. I'm right here. And, uh, the, but as he looked around, as he looked at how deep the water was, and he saw all the people around, he was afraid. And so um, I, kept, I kept trying to encourage him. But as long as he kept his eyes on me, and as long as he could hear my voice, um, he'd move a little bit closer to the edge of the edge of the pool. He'd just get ready to jump. And the closer that he got, the more excited it made me. I'd get more excited, and I kept urging him on, come on, man, you can do this. You got it. But guess what? As his eyes wandered away from mine, he'd get discouraged. He'd get afraid. And then he'd back away from the edge of the pool. That's what would happen. And this kept going on and on. So it, it took a lot of patience. It took a lot of words of encouragement. But eventually, I remember, he took that jump. And when he landed in my arms, I was, I was so excited. I was like, dude, you did it. I told you you could do it. Now get back up there and do it again. <laughs> and over and over, he jumped into my arms. And over and over, the easier it got for him, the more he did it. I wanted him to learn that he could count on me as his daddy, that I was a trustworthy father. And you know, how many of you find it hard to trust God? How many of you find it hard to allow him to catch you? in your circumstance. You know, we may say with our words that we trust him, but our heart and our actions often say a whole different story, doesn't it? When we get our eyes off of him, we easily get distracted, we get scared, we get worried. Maybe, maybe you grew up and you didn't have a good father to catch you. So you've never experienced what it's like. You've never experienced the example of having a trustworthy father. And if that's you today, you don't, I, I get it. You don't understand what that's like. But listen, we're going to talk about that today. You know, just like our earthly father, our heavenly father stands there with his arms wide open. He's got his eyes on you. His arms are open. He's open. And he's encouraging us as his children to trust in him. He's encouraging us to take that jump and to trust him fully and completely. And as long as we keep our eyes fixed on him, we can hear his voice. We can hear him clearly. And we can let go of those fears and we can trust him. But if we take our eyes off of him, even for a second, and we start looking around in this messy, distracting, and depressing world, we'll never be able to fully trust him. And just like I made my son jump over and over and over again, 
God does the same thing with us. He puts us in situations or he allows certain things to happen in our lives so that we'll learn to trust him, so that we'll learn to depend on him, and so that we'll learn to become like him. So you may have heard that the last time that I spoke, that I was pastoring a church in Stevensville and I was working for the University of Montana. And uh, we were here and we loved it. And being here, let me tell you, it was like living a dream. We thought to ourselves, man, we have made it. This is God's country. It's all good. I'm a big hunter. I love the outdoors. It is opening weekend this weekend, and I am here. Hallelujah. I am here. (laughs) The beauty of Montana, man, I just, I I can't even begin to to put it into words. Those Those of you that have been here, you get it. I know you get it. But we were living close to family. It was so awesome. I just, it was such a blessing. We felt like we were set for life. Some people might have said we were successful, at least by what the world defines as success. And then all of a sudden, without warning, struggle came. Struggle came, and we found ourselves in a situation that was desperate. Success turned to struggle, and Satan, man, he just threw all kinds of chaos in our lives. Some of you have probably been there. We were drowning. We were crying out to God. We were, we were crying out to him. We were saying, rescue us, God, save us, deliver us. And we, of course, had our own ideas on how this was to happen. We said, God, if you'll just, you'll just do this for us, if you'll just take that away. You know, we gave some pretty good advice to God, let me tell you. <laughs> said, you know, God, you could fix it this way. You know, God, you could fix it that way. But you know what? He didn't listen. Not at all. He didn't listen, but he was trustworthy. Seriously, though, we were drowning. We were drowning in a situation, and we honestly felt like this was the end. We had no hope. And it seemed, at what seemed like the last possible moment, God reached down and he grabbed us and he pulled us up out of that situation that we were in. And we were still dripping wet when he pulled us out. We were battered, we were bruised, and we were broken, and he sent us to Florida. I'd love to be able to tell you that we went skipping off to Florida singing Kumbaya, yay Jesus, but that's not the truth. We went kicking and screaming. We did not want to go. It took us a bit of time to get on board with God's new plan, but we finally did. We told God, hey, thank you. Thank you for taking taking us out of that mess that we're in. And uh, then we told God, we'll just stay here a year, and then we can go back home. We didn't really want to make any deep or meaningful relationships. I mean, we're only going to be in Florida for a year, right, God? That's what we were saying. Besides, relationships are messy. And little did we know that God did not plan just to rescue us. He planned to repair us. He set us in a church with a pastor who loved us, who he loved us, but he also loved the Lord fiercely. He put us in a church where this church family, they surrounded us, they welcomed us, and they treated us as if they, we were our own, or we were their own. And God didn't just provide a job. He provided the best job I've ever had working at Florida State University. I loved my job. I loved my employees. But still, our plan was only to stay there a year. That was our plan. One year turned to two years. Two years turned to three. And honestly, we began to really like living in Wakulla County, Florida. We loved the people. We made some amazing lifelong friendships while we were there. You know, my wife homeschools our son, and in Florida, she had the most awesome homeschool group. They loved on her. They loved on my son. It was just awesome. Some people might have said we were successful. By the world's standards, we were doing well. We had a high-paying job. We had a nice home. 
We had a jacuzzi. We had an outdoor kitchen. We even had a water slide. I mean, that's paradise, right? You know, honestly, our time in Florida, it felt like one big three-year vacation. And it was like God was, was giving us permission to rest, to rest and be restored in him until all of a sudden we couldn't rest anymore. We both felt a sense of urgency that God was calling us back to Montana. And by now we were like, well, we've been here for three years. We have a nice, safe, cushy, cozy life. It's all good. Maybe we could just stay here. Again, we offered God our advice. And I personally, I personally reminded them that I can't go anywhere without a job. I said, I mean, God, that'd be stupid, right? I mean, how am I going to be able to provide for my family if I don't have a job, right, God? I said that to the one who provides for my family. (laughs) The one who gave me the job in the first place. God was like, remember all the times I've been faithful, trustworthy? Remember when I set you on a firm foundation? Can I do that again? Am I just a one-wonder God? Am I just the God of small stuff? Or do you really trust me with the big stuff too? Look at Jeremiah 32, 27. It says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? In other words, there is nothing God can't do, nothing he can't overcome, nothing that's ever too big for him. And if that's not enough to convince us, look at this one. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Infinitely more than we might ask or think. He's that good of a father. So back to my story. Here I am leaning on my own understanding again telling God I need a job. How am I going to sell my house? How am I going to pay for my family to move all the way across the country? And where are we going to live? Then suddenly one day I heard God say to me, do you trust me or not? I was like, well, yes, Lord, I trust you. But what about this? But what about that? Do you ever get a big but? I mean, do you ever say, yes, God, but? You ever do that? Listen, we can all do ourselves a huge favor and and not let our big butt get in God's good way, right? Now, I'm a details guy. I like to know where I'm going, and I like to know all the steps of the plan before taking that first step. That's just how I'm wired. Some of you might be like that. So here is God. He's directly challenging me to go. How many of you know when God says go, you'd better go, right? He said, you don't need to know all the steps. He said, just trust him one step at a time. So we took that first step, and we put our house up for sale. And within two hours, we had our first offer. And within 24, we had multiple offers. The very last offer that came in, they sent us a letter. And in the letter was a picture of this family. They were from Colorado. And this family had never seen our home in person before putting in their offer. They said they were drawn to our home because of the pictures they saw online of Bible verses that were written throughout our home. And they felt that this was the evidence that they'd been praying and trusting God for. The letter just blew us away. I mean, it really did. We knew that we just had to accept this offer. And we hadn't even seen the price yet, but we felt like we had to accept it. We assumed, 
we assumed, we assumed the worst. We thought it was a low offer. And we just have to take it. I mean, after the letter, how could we not? But can you believe they offered us more than what we were asking for? More. Why? Because God can accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That's the God we serve. <clears throat> That's just like God. He, not just to meet our needs, but to, to, to exceed them. And you talk about some confirmation. That was confirmation right there. And I wish our story had this amazing ending where my family and I rode off into the sunset to Montana and everything has been perfect since. I wish I could stand here and tell you that today. We still need a home. We still need a permanent job. Our story is still being written. And God is still good and he's still trustworthy. Listen, my responsibility isn't to try to figure it all out. My responsibility is simply to trust him right now in the waiting for his, with each new step. And we can already see God's hand in the next chapter of our story. He's reached down and he's set us right here at Crosspoint. And we're happy to be here and we're excited to get to know all of you. We're even more excited about what God has planned for this church and for the impact that we as a church can have on Missoula and beyond. You know, what my wife and I have been through is nothing compared to what some of you have been through. It's nothing compared to perhaps what some of you are going through right now, this moment. Some of you have got some trust issues, and you don't know if God is trustworthy. Maybe you've been given a diagnosis of cancer or some other life-threatening disease. Maybe after 20 years of marriage, your spouse has left you and you're feeling abandoned and broken. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've lost a family member. Is he trustworthy? Is he big enough to solve the really big problems? Do you know that God can reach down and pull you up out of your circumstance at any moment? At any moment. Listen, trust is not easy. Satan wants nothing more than to shake us up. He wants to just shake us up. But listen, God is our unshakable foundation. He is our rock. He's immovable. He's constant. He's never changing. He's always there. You can trust the rock. So let's turn to our main text today. I know many of you have probably heard this, this verse. This is probably the, one of the most famous, if not the most quoted Bible verse there is. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I hope today that by you hearing it, maybe you're going to hear it in a different way than you've never heard before. You know, God's word is alive and active and powerful. That's the cool thing about reading his word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Now let me ask you, who or what is the first thing you turn to when you're facing a challenge in your life? Is it your spouse? Is it your family? Is it your pastor? Is it Facebook? <laughs> Who or what you turn to first says everything about where your trust is. Look at the verse. It says, trust in the Lord. God expects us to turn to him first. He also has a dual command for us in there. Do trust me, don't trust you. Now, this is the hard part of the command. So many of us really struggle with not leaning on our own understanding. We want to understand. We want to ask questions. So we ask, like, why, God? Why did my spouse leave? Why do I have cancer? 
Why did my mom have to die? Why? And if it's not why, we're asking how. How, God? How should I handle this? How do I forgive this person after what they did? How am I ever going to get over this? How? And if it's not why and it's not how, then we're asking when. When, God? When am I ever going to get out of debt? When are you going to heal me? When are you going to answer my prayer? When? The why, the how, the when, we all have these kinds of questions. We want answers and we want to understand. And we have no patience to wait on God. What did God say? He said, trust me with all your heart. Stop striving. Stop trying to figure it out. Trust me. That's just it. We won't ever be able to figure it out completely. Listen to this. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We're not God. So we'll never be able to fully understand everything. We don't have his perspective. Now if we'll look back at this verse, our text for today. Look back at the last part of this verse. Even though there's a command in here, there's also a promise. And notice that after the obedience comes the promise. More often than not, that's how it happens. After the obedience follows the promise. God will give us direction when we trust him completely. He will. Not only that, but God says in Jeremiah 17, 7, when we trust him completely, he will be, will be blessed. Those who trust in him will be blessed. You want to have direction? You want to be blessed? Trust the rock. So why don't we trust in him? I think there are three obstacles that stand in the way of us trusting in him. We're going to go through those. Or through those. There are... There's three of them. The first one is spiritual amnesia. Spiritual amnesia. This is simply when we forget God's faithfulness. How many of you have been there? You forget. I don't know about you, but I can be pretty dumb. I mean, I've had spiritual amnesia more times than I care to admit. But I know that I'm in pretty good company. Even Jesus' disciples suffered from this. In Matthew chapter 15, Jesus was with his disciples. He was in the wilderness on the side of the mountain. There were more than 4,000 people with him. And the people were bringing all these people that were crippled. They couldn't see. They couldn't speak. They brought them all before Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He healed them all. And the disciples were right there, and they saw that happening. And then Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Hey, I don't want to send these people away hungry. Guess, what, guess how the disciples responded? Listen to this. In Matthew 15, this is how they responded. Where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? Now, that might sound like a legitimate question, right? They've been there for three days. There's no food. There's a whole bunch of people, and they're hungry. So they're asking this question. Except they're asking the question of the Son of God who just stood there for three days healing people, right and left. Says he healed them all. If Jesus can heal people, I'm pretty sure he can come up with some food, don't you? And if that's not bad enough, just a short time before, the disciples were in the exact same situation. You can turn over one chapter and go to chapter 14, and you can read about where Jesus fed 5, 000, over 5,000 people with two loaves of bread and uh, two fish. Excuse me, five loaves of bread and two fish. They had so much food, they took up 12 baskets of leftovers. 
The disciples were right there. They saw that happening. You would have thought that the disciples would have responded, hey, Jesus, we know you got this. We've seen you do this before. Go for it. But nope, just like we do today, they forgot. And they forgot pretty quickly. They were too busy looking at the problem instead of looking at Jesus. So how do we overcome spiritual amnesia? We have to remember. We have to remember. First Chronicles 16:12 says, "Remember the wonders he has performed, his miracles and the rulings he has given." We've got to remember. Number 2. I like to call these FWDs. Fear, worry, and doubt. FWDs are Satan's weapons of mass destruction, and man can they do some damage. I love how missionary and author Elizabeth Elliot defines fear. She says, fear arises when we imagine that everything depends on us. You know, that's the problem. We often depend more on ourselves than we do on God. And Satan loves to throw that little bomb, man. He'll just light it and throw it right into your life. He loves to throw that bomb in there because he knows that fear paralyzes and faith produces. If he can paralyze you with fear... He knows that he can take you out and stop you from living the life that you're supposed to live and keep you from being productive. Now, worry? Worry is like a cancer for the soul. Worry will simply wear you down and stress you out. If you weren't here last week for Pastor Bruce's message on how to live a worry-free life, I encourage you to go back and watch it. Go back and listen to it. We've got the sermons now on iTunes, so you can listen to it on your phone through podcast. We've got a video channel. Go back and listen to it or watch it. He says in that message that uh, there's a difference between worry and concern. And he talks about when you cross that line and how to recognize when that happens. And that's when uh, we try to take on responsibility that we're not supposed to take on. We, many of us worry about tomorrow when tomorrow isn't our responsibility to begin with. Tomorrow is God's responsibility. And you know what? When we worry, this is what we're really saying. We're saying, God, I don't trust you. That's what we're saying when we worry. In Matthew chapter 14, Peter struggles with this idea of worry. Even he struggled with it. And the disciples, they were in a boat and they were in the middle of the lake. There was a storm brewing. And the waves were coming, and they were all afraid. And they saw Jesus walking on the water. Can you imagine that, seeing somebody walking on the water? They saw Jesus walking on the water, and they were terrified. And so Peter looks at Jesus, and he says, If that's really you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, Come. And so Peter, he steps out of the boat. He's got his eyes on Jesus. He takes those first couple steps. He's literally walking on the water. And then guess what happens? He looks around, and as soon as his eyes come off Jesus, fear enters the equation. He gets afraid, and next, he starts to sink. And as he's starting to sink, he, what happens then? Worry enters the equation. Now he's worried because he's like, oh no, I'm going to drown. Save me, Lord! And what does Jesus do? Immediately, the word says, he reached down and he saved Peter. And then what were the next words that Jesus says to Peter? Why did you doubt me? We've had fear, we've had worry, now we've got doubt. Why did you doubt me? Did you hear that? Doubt. Doubt is the exact opposite of trust. When we doubt, we're uncertain. We hesitate. 
we waver. We need to trust God, not our circumstances. So how do we overcome FWDs? How do we overcome fear, worry, and doubt? We forget them. Forget their power. Forget them. We don't entertain any of them. Listen, the Bible is very clear on this. Don't fear, don't worry, and don't doubt. We've got to forget them. God doesn't want us wandering around in fear, all stressed out, doubting his faithfulness. That's not what God wants for us. His word says in Psalm 46.10 that we are to be still. Be still and know that I am God, he says. Be still. You've got to forget FWDs. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on him. When our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we don't give Satan any room to trigger the FWDs, those weapons in our, in our lives. We don't give him any possible way to do that when we're fixed, we've got our eyes fixed on Jesus. So we've talked about the first obstacle, spiritual amnesia. We've talked about fear, worry, and doubt, FWDs is number two. Our last obstacle to overcome and trust is control. Control. And for some of us, this is a big, big challenge. This is the last one we're going to talk about, control. Control is when we say to God, I got this. I don't need you. I don't want your help. Or I'm tired of waiting on you, so I'm going to take over now. That's what control is. And you know, this is exactly what happened with Abraham and Sarah in the book of Genesis. God promised Abraham when he was 75 years old, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. However, there was a problem. Sarah couldn't have children. She couldn't have them. So 10 years go by. I want you to think about that. 10 years. God made this promise to Abraham, and it's now been 10 years, and it's still not been fulfilled. 10 years! We can't even wait 10 minutes, can we? We have such a microwave culture today. We want what we want, and we want it right now, and we have no patience to wait for it. So Sarah, she gets tired of waiting, and she comes up with this great idea. She says, hey, Abraham, I want you to go sleep with my maidservant, Hagar, because I'd like to have our son right now. Now, guys, if your wife came and said something like that to you, don't you think there'd be this big warning sign going off in your head? Warning, warning, this is not going to end well. I mean, you, you would think so, right? But listen, here's the crazy part. The word says Abraham agreed with Sarah's proposal. He agreed? That's crazy. Not even a hint of, wait a minute, aren't we getting ahead of God? Shouldn't we trust him? None of that. None of that happened. Did you know that impatient people do stupid things? I mean, this situation has stupid written all over it, doesn't it? So after Abraham does the deed and Hagar gets pregnant, things get from bad to worse. And once Hagar becomes pregnant, you can imagine how Sarah felt. She felt jealous. And so she turns to Abraham. This this is my version. She turns to Abraham. She probably puts her hands on her hips. She's got this look on her face. She waves her finger, and she says, it's all your fault. How many of you guys have been there? It's all your fault. (laughs) So they really got themselves in a a really tough situation because they didn't trust in God's timing. But God was faithful. He kept his word. He did exactly what he promised. Now, if you read the story, you'll know that it took 25 years for that that promise to be fulfilled when they they had Isaac. 25 years. But God did fulfill the promise. Listen, God always fulfills his promises. Always. 
We have to learn to trust God completely, even in the waiting. And so how do we overcome control? We've got to give it up. We have got to give up control. We have to surrender our control to God's will. So we've talked about three obstacles of trust today. Spiritual amnesia, FWDs with fear, worry, and doubt, and control. Here's a way to remember how to overcome all of them. Remember, forget, give up. So we remember God's faithfulness. We forget FWDs. Don't entertain them. Give up control. Remember, forget, give up. You know, Jesus gave us the ultimate example of giving up control. The word says, Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. This is the last thing he said before he died on the cross for all of us. He willingly laid down his life and entrusted it completely to our Father for each one of us. Unfortunately, there are some of you, probably some of you here today, that you've got your hands so firmly clenched around your life and around your plans that you're not willing to let go of them. But why wouldn't we trust him? He is a trustworthy father after all he's done for us. Listen, do you need peace in your life today? Do you need peace? Trust the rock. Trust the rock. I'm looking for Isaiah. I don't see it on there. Isaiah. Okay, so it's not on there. We'll go old school on you. I'm going to pull out my Bible. How about that? I'm going to pull out my Bible. That's why I got my Bible up here. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. If you need peace today, listen to this. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all those whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. Now, we're going to do a little exercise today. You guys ready for an exercise? All right. As this next song is being played, this is what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for each of you to be thinking about what is it in your life that you're struggling to trust God with? What is it in your life that you're not really ready or haven't been ready to let go of today? Be thinking about that. Then what I'd like you to do is reach down underneath your chair. There should be a rock and a black marker down there. And I want you to write it down on the rock. Write down on that rock what it is that you're struggling to trust God today with, okay? If you don't have a rock or a pen underneath your chair, there are some empty chairs that you can probably grab one, but I encourage all of you to do that. And once you've written down on that rock, you can do this during the song, once you've written down on that rock what it is that you're struggling with, I want you to bring that rock up here to the altar, okay? Bring it up here to the altar. I'd like to line this altar with all those things that we're not trusting God for. Okay? Let's cast our burdens upon Jesus' feet. Let's lay them at his feet today. And listen, don't let the enemy keep you in your seat. Don't leave here today without putting this before God. Today, let's say, God, we trust you. We trust you today. So write down on that rock what it is and then bring it forward on this altar as this next song plays. If you can click onto that next 